as we continue to speak on God's grace in our life. If you recognize the title, we do have a title, don't we? Okay. The Grace of Sexual Wisdom. Alright, hold on. Like I said last week, we'll be doing a series on sexual purity and what the Bible says about it and the joy of it, the need for it in the culture we live in today. A couple of sensitive things I might be speaking about today and over the next couple of weeks, but uh, I want everybody to really weigh in on this and to honor God in these sermons, to really be reflective, contemplative, uh, listen to what God is speaking to us out of his text as we go through the book of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 over the next several weeks. Much is here to uh, encourage us in our walk, in our encouragement of other people to sexual purity and everything that God has to say about it. Uh, I'm going to start reading in uh, Proverbs 5, read 8 verses, move over to chapter 6 then move into the first five verses of chapter 7, and uh, we'll start from there. Proverbs 5, chapter 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of shoal. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and the she does not know it. And now listen, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from my words of my mouth. Keep, keep, you, keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's command, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you are awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to pres preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief what he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He, does, he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though he will multiply gifts. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings at the, as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, 
from the adulteress of her smooth words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that's ever encouraging, enlightening, understanding, giving us insight, Father God. Drawing back the veil of evil that's all around us, Father God, and bringing us into a greater wisdom and understanding of how to walk pure in the moral wilderness we live in, Father God. We thank you that your word, your commandments are truly searching, Father God. They search a man and a woman's heart, the deep things of the heart and the deep things of the mind, Father God. And then builds us up, Father God, into the image of Christ, Father God. We thank you that wisdom speaks life, Father God, in this world of death. Open up our minds, open up our hearts, Father God. Give us illumination to the wonderful truths that your word will be speaking to us today and over the next several weeks on this issue, God, because we know it's grace. It's a warning, Father God, to how to live right in a wrong world, Father God. So we thank you for the grace of this warning. We thank you for the grace of wisdom in these matters, Father God. We thank you in Christ's name. As the title, as the title says, we'll be speaking on the wisdom of the word of God that he gives us concerning sexual purity. I will be speaking out of Proverbs, as we just mentioned, 5 to 7. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is one long exhortation, except for a little sidetrack there in chapter 6, 1 to 19, to speak to this issue of parents speaking life to their children on sexual my motive for the series is to impart wisdom in sexual purity. The joy and personal fulfillment of sexual relations between a husband and a wife. And it is joyful. The joy of waiting with purpose. And I want people to hear this. The joy of waiting with purpose for those who are not yet married. The joy of knowing unquestionably that there is a right way in this wrong world. And not to be confused by how the world teaches, and the world does teach. Compared to what our culture says and has done to the beauty of marriage. It's not about sex. It's about marriage. And the beauty of this sacred gift God has given to a husband and wife. It should be cherished. It should be protected. And as Christians, that is part of our job. It's a very big part of our job. Unfortunately, we live in a society that has no sexual boundaries, a society that has thrown off all moral restraints, labeling them antiquated, religious, repressive. Uh, moral restraint has no value in this world. It, it stops the person from experiencing freedom and expression of the true self, is what they say. Anything goes at any time with anybody in any circumstance, nothing is taboo. We live in a moral wilderness filled with sexual predators. Sexual predators conjure up thoughts of a person waiting to pounce on the young and the innocent. That's what we would think. But as Proverbs 5 to 7 will show us over the next several weeks, it's more pervasive than that. Uh, Proverbs will show us that we live in a society that's gone crazy for sex. Sex is an idol that is worshipped in today's culture. Uh, as the all in all to personal happiness and fulfillment. Time, resources, money are spent on it, day in and day out. Uh, but the desires are never satisfied. 
They can't be. On the contrary, they get worse, as society teaches us. An entangle and strangle of every life of a person ruin the individual, then it ruins the family, it ruins the community, it corrupts society. But society just cannot bring itself to condemning it or exposing it. The pain is never mentioned on TV or in the news. You never hear the statistics of sexually transmitted diseases, abortion, divorce, family breakups, the emotional psychological pain to young teenagers, teenage pregnancy, teenage depression, teenage suicide. Much can be traced to empty sexual encounters that have scarred the youth of America. The statistics speak out loud, but we live in a society that is not listening, has turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to the problems of sexual immorality. Because once a person or a society has removed any moral absolute from the equation, it has by default adopted an anything-goes policy. And you better be on board, otherwise you will be labeled a hate monger, a bigot, old-fashioned, get with it. Get up to speed. This is the 21st century. The society we live in. And if we do as Christians are supposed to do, we will suffer the same fate as Lot. In Genesis 19, when he brought it to the attentions of the Sodomites who wanted to rape the two angels of the Lord. And they looked at him and said, Who made you judge over us? We're going to do to you even worse than to them. And that's the society we live in. Who has made you, Christian man and Christian woman, judge over society on moral issues? How dare you say it's wrong? How dare you condemn us? Though Christianity truly doesn't condemn. It condemns a practice. It doesn't condemn people. But usually people that practice can't hear that. But we ought to be unapologetic, totally unashamed, of how we live as Christians, and what God calls his people to live. No matter what the world says to us, no matter if we suffer the fate of Lot and are persecuted for our high moral value and a high view of God, a high view of scripture, a high view of Christ, a high view of sex, a high view of marriage, that is the Christian's life. You would think that a $20 billion porn industry is the major culprit behind this. It's only part of the problem. The music industry, Hollywood, TV, TV commercials, TV advertising, cartoons, all with their sexual overtones and sexual innuendos and double entendres are ruining society slowly but surely. Mankind is desensitized in America to any true moral value. The endorsement of homosexuality, fornication, adultery, one night stands are by prime time TV. It's not on at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's on at 7, 8, 9. It used to be the family time when I was growing up. It's no more. It's Satan's time. Scandal after scandal in politics, schools, business world, military institutions, and churches all go to endorse this low view of God, of marriage, sex. The blatant undermining 
of the paternal guardianship by the school system in all areas of the child's education, welfare, and moral upbringing has produced a new sexual predator to be concerned with, not just the one we're familiar with lurking in the shadows and corners around schoolyards. No, this new one is more subtle and comes right into the school as new curriculum and legitimizes sexual sin. In school, you can have an abortion. You can want to be transgender. You could have condoms. And the school does not have to tell your parents. The government knows best. That a parent has conceived that child, will believe in love, nurtured that child, cries over that child, prays over that child. We live in a society where the government and the school system can do a much better job in the moral upbringing of their child. comes into the house by television, computer, iPhones. No, this is a new breed of predator. It is society as we know it. It's the spirit of the world. This is where we find ourselves today. And as Christians, we are going to preserve, and if we as Christians are going to preserve our personal testimonies of sexual purity and hold to a high view of scripture and of God, of marriage and of sex, honoring God in this moral wilderness, and we have to encourage others to honor God and to escape this pit of corruption, then we have to be so proactive as churches, as parents, as a community. Silence in this area is deadly, deadly, deadly. Silence is deadly. We need not just warn others about the destruction it leads to. But we need to educate them on the beauty of what marriage is. We need to educate them on the beauty of a husband and wife and sexual intimacy. But always the hope of having that gift from God in conception. Low view of marriage, low view of sex, low view of God is a low This is the culture we live in. We need to teach the beauty of honoring each other and a lifelong commitment of fidelity and trust where two people can be naked and unashamed, love one another, care for one another, respect one another, build one another up and nurture one another. And sexual intimacy is just a part of that nurturing relationship that God has given humanity, husbands and wives. To make that all possible. It's just an expression of love. It's not the end all. Sex is not the end all. It's just a small part. Of the overall. But the world we live in today says this is it. This is fulfillment. This is happiness. Go for it. You have to have it. Something's wrong if you don't. They want to take 12 year olds. And make them feel like they're 25 overnight. To look 25, and to talk 25, and to desire like a 25-year-old. And, and they go home and the parents want to educate them. They don't want to hear it because they're hearing another voice. We are to teach the beauty of virginity, the power 
of celibacy to our children. Many Christian parents have all but given up on this, thinking it just won't work. Churches are silent about it. You go to church for 20 years and not hear a sermon you're going to hear today. It scares a lot of ministers, scares a lot of churches, scares a lot of Christians. It's scary to parents. It's something we rather just sort of toss it to the wind and let's see what happens. But that's not what it means to be a parent. A parent is a guardian. Remember, children are a gift of the Lord. They're God's property. We're to be good stewards. Not just in parents, but as pastors and ministry leaders. We're guardians. We're to care and nurture for each other's children. We're to love them and pray for them and pray for uh, the children of the church and the children that are in our life. That God protect them at all times. This proverb teaches parents are part of the answer to illicit sexual behavior. It is the word of God and it's all its power and its wisdom. That is the only answer. The Bible doesn't give us any other answer. How does a young man keep his way pure? By hiring every word of God in his own life. We'll speak more about this as we go on. But before we do, I just want to give a side note here, if I can pull it up. We need to remember that all, all, all are prone to sexual temptation. All of us are. We're all prone to a wandering mind and wandering eyes. And we all need to be vigilant in this area. We all need to heed what Paul says. Be careful that you stand, lest you fall. It's not about us who don't against them who do. This is a call for all to be wise. This is not an exhortation about sexual sin. It's dealing with sexual temptation. Very important for us to know. That's where wisdom begins. Dealing with the temptations in the world. Let's go to our text. Well, we'll be in chapter 6. I'm going to bounce around a little bit over the next several weeks, but I'll be in chapter 6, 20 to 35. I'm just going to read the first. Well, actually, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> we read it already. Let, let, me just, let me just go into a little bit of an introduction here. These chapters that we just read, 5, 6, and 7, introduce us into four women. There's the adulteress, the foreign woman, the strange woman, and then there's something called the other man's wife. And we need to be careful to turn this into some gender war. And I'll explain that as we go along. A lot of ink has been spilt on these three chapters concerning the gender thing as though the Bible portrays women as the problem. I'll explain as we go along why it fits and how it fits in the scriptures, in our cultural context today and back then. Let me just explain it this way. I think we can all agree that sexual temptation is prevalent everywhere today, as we already mentioned in the sermon. You cannot watch a TV commercial. You cannot buy a car. Every advertisement uses sexual 
not even in the windows anymore. It's, it's overt. It's over, we live in an overt society. There's no shame. It's gone. And we know today that to raise a child up sexually into when they have a, a the, when they're coming to a sexual awakening in their life, that we have to speak life to them. We have to show them the right path. And how important that is, because we know that temptation is where? It's everywhere today. Now understand that because if we go back three thousand years ago, it wasn't everywhere. It came out of one quarters, basically. Jewish women were not sexually promiscuous. They were, they, you know, you had your cases in the Bible, but you don't see much of that. What you see is the other cultures that were around Judaism, the pagan cultures with the uh, cult prostitute and the wayward woman and the adulterous woman. It usually came from outside Judaism. And it's important to understand this because it's always the man that's being tempted. And you might think that, well, what's that all about? It's not a gender thing. Understand something. If you got to the man, you ruin the family. And you ruin the family, you ruin the community, you ruin the nation. The Bible teaches us that, clearly. In Jewish community, it was the man who was lord of the house. But he wasn't just that. He loved the family. He protected the family. He gave confidence to the family. He gave assurance to the family. He worked hard for the family. If he falls into sexual sin and shame, Israelite law dealt harshly with that. And slowly but surely, a man's reputation would be dishonored and would hurt the whole family. We'll pick up on this probably next week. So understand that this was the sexual threat of the day. The foreign woman, the cult prostitute, the adulteress, the strange woman. That was the sexual threat of the day. Now today we got it coming from everywhere. So as you read over these three chapters over the next three weeks, understand something. These women are more of a metaphor today of the sexual temptations and the, and the sexual traps that are all over society today. It's more of an illustration now. So when you read these three chapters over the next couple of weeks, and read it and read, read it, listen to how it describes the speech of the woman, the dress of the woman, the mannerisms of the woman, where the woman lives, how she conducts herself. Listen to every word. It's an illustration of the society we live in today. And we'll go through that over the next couple of weeks. A little bit of homework. But these women are really metaphors for all kinds of illicit sex that plague any believer in Yahweh Christ at any time, in any age, anywhere. 3,000 years ago, it came from one strong quarter, the foreign adulterous woman. That was the sexual threat and temptation of the day. Ours have changed quite differently. We live in a lot worse time than they ever did. Proverbs 1 to 9 uses an interesting format. It's the parental exhortation as a means of communication. Something we need to be very careful to listen to. 
we get a parent's eye view of the problem facing the children in chapters 1 to 9. Especially chapters 5 to 7. I really don't want you to miss that. I read all of it. You see, it's a, we hear the, the, the bird's eye view. and you know When you read the Old Testament laws, and you read the Ten Commandments, you read Leviticus, you read Deuteronomy, you are getting God's heavenly view of earthly realities. He's given us the Ten Commandments and how to live. But when you read Proverbs, what you see, you see the Ten Commandments, and you see all the, the, the commandments of the Old Testament. It's actually living its way out in the life of the parent. The parent could have quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, Leviticus chapter 17. The parent doesn't do that. He just says, listen to my commandment and the teaching of your mother. They have digested the word of God. They have lived under the word of God. And now they're encouraging their children with the word of God. But it's called here the teachings of your mother and the commandments of your father. He's really alluding to the word of God. Active and alive in their heart, in their house. Don't miss that. No one is prepared for life that has not learned some basic lessons, whether it's on financial prudence, meaningful work ethic, or moral precepts in this society we live in. This is what Proverbs does, and Proverbs does it very well. It prepares young men and young women coming of age to go into a life where sin is everywhere and prosper by God's grace. It's not just a bunch of arbitrary sayings to try to memorize and be clever with. It is a real teaching tool to speak into the hearts of our children the way of God, which Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A way a child showed their fear of the Lord was how they respected their parents. How is an eight-year-old going to have the fear of the Lord? Just scared them to death. You're scared them to death. It's found in the fifth commandment to obey your mother and father for its long life. It'll go good for you in the land. Respect of parents in Judaism was a fear of the Lord for an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, a twelve-year-old. Children coming of age of 13 or 14 years old, they, they were going on to maturity. They were getting prepared to go into their own life. To be successful in life, one needs a goal, a game plan, a foundation. Not Russian roulette. Self-control is taught. Again, self-control is taught. Self-control is exemplified. It's not stumbled upon. The society and school system we live in today, the culture we live in, does not cannot, will not ever produce one ounce of self-control in any child. It is outside the realm of government, politics, academics to teach this. Here in our text we see parents' genuine concern for the sexual future of their child. 
These are the parents' deepest desire that the child have a fulfilling and joyful married life. Scripture teaches that sexual purity is a key component to a happy, successful life. It's a key component. That is totally lost in the society and culture we live in. The society we live in, the culture we live in is ready, aim, fire. Let it all go. See what happens. Feel your way through. Experiment your way through. Let me encourage you right now. At 53 years old, married over 30 years, preaching the word and ministering for over 20 years, I've never heard ever, ever once of someone say, you know, my marriage is better because of all the promiscuity I had. You know, I'm really grateful to God that I, I lived all over the place. And really, really, I have a great, well-founded, well-rounded understanding of marriage now. Has anybody ever heard that? You won't. Because that's behind the closed doors when you see the tears and you see the pain and you see the ache and you see the damage done to the innocent. Society doesn't bring out the garbage. I thank God the Bible is clear about the garbage. The Bible is not ashamed to bring out the danger and pain of sexual misbehavior. Against these parents stands the law of illicit sex personified in the prostitute or the strange woman. Parents know that the aftermath of such behavior I want you to listen to this. 3,000 years ago, or even 2,000 years ago, parents through the aftermath of such behavior is disgrace at best and personal destruction at worst. Shame was a great concern to the biblical writers. Let's listen to verse 32 and 33 here. We can put that up in chapter 6. 32 and 33. <clears throat> He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Today, shame is short-lived and carries no power to restrain anyone. This is a real problem. There's no conscience. The conscience has been desensitized to sexual shame. There's no leverage. People really don't care. As a matter of fact, if you would tell somebody I'm 21 years old and I'm a virgin, I'm a keep, you would get laughed at. You would get shot down on a college campus. As a matter of fact, you get shot down in high school. As a matter of fact, you get shot down in grammar school. Our youth wear as a badge of honor, as entering into manhood and womanhood. And little did they know of the great destruction that lies ahead. It's because of teaching like this that Christian churches are silent on the issue. They won't speak about it. We can never bring ourselves to such. It would show I don't care for you or your children. If I was to hide this wonderful gem of Old Testament scripture. But why has she has no power. It doesn't restrain. The parents generally concerned 
not, not just the sexual future, the marriage of the child, but the child's namesake. It's all because we live in a fractured society where people are not so close to each other no more. There's, there's no deep commitment. There's no community commitment in the society we live in. Everybody's living their radically individualistic life. Everybody's got their own little life. But understand something. People really don't know each other. People really don't care. You see, this is opposed to what the Bible teaches. The, the Bible teaches a community that depends on one another. The whole Bible speaks from a community aspect. There's a prism in the scripture. In the Old Testament, is the nation of Israel, as opposed to every other nation. Within the nation of Israel, you belong to a... In the tribe, you belong to a family line. And that family line lived in a geographical town. You did something, everybody knew. And you paid the consequence of it. In the New Testament, the gospel has gone throughout all the world, and now people from every tribe, nation, tongue are coming and gathering. It's the local church that has taken over the nation. It's the local church that has taken over a tribe. It's the local church that has taken over the town and what family you are from. This is the New, church, New Testament dynamic. Sin gets people to scatter. Start a new image, start a new spiritual life. No need to know who I really am or what I'm really about. I'm giving you a pastor's perspective. It's an epidemic today within Christianity. Who really are we? What should naturally happen when men and women meet is they should have a good foundation in the local church where someone could say, I know that person. I know that sister. I know that brother. And, and have a good recommendation and say, you know something? I've known them for years. They, they love the Lord. I heartily approve of that kind of relationship. Go for it. But because we don't live in a community setting, we don't, we don't have the community dynamic anymore, the mindset, everybody's everywhere, nobody knows anybody. Understand what I'm saying? This is why shame has no restraint in power anymore. But the damage is still. I'm a pastor. I'm concerned for the damage of people's souls. I'm concerned for this. This means so much to us here. It means a vibrant, healthy marriage and relationship is a picture of the loving Trinity. It's a picture of the Trinity. It's a picture that it does work. That two can come together from diverse backgrounds and it works because God is the foundation. We need to nurture this. We need to preach it. We need to teach it. And best of all, if we failed in it, we need to encourage people with Jesus. Because he takes the bitter and he makes it sweet. Only God can do it. Understand something. Many, many, many people have got saved and have fallen in these areas. And God restores. Don't you hear the words of the Apostle Paul now that fornicators and a 
adulterers and homosexuals will never enter the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. In the name of Jesus, in the spirit of the living God, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. You can't go to the government. You can't go to academia. You can't go to politicians to ever get a new nature. God will give you a new virginity. I'll say it again. God will give you a new virginity when you come to Christ and you live for Christ. God will put the sacred God will definitely give the years that the locusts have sown. As I said, this is just an introduction. I'll make a couple of comments on verses 20 and 21. We'll close. Of chapter 6. My son, keep your father's command and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. The beginning of the sexual purity starts where? In the home. Starts in the home. Nowhere else. Starts in the home. It is the first line of defense. As I said last week, this is not just about the children. About parenting. Proverbs is about parenting. Someone would say, Brian, my children are older now. This teacher won't do anything to them. God has an answer. You don't have to tell them about the wanton woman anymore. Tell them about the Savior. Tell them about the Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. Tell them about redemption. Tell them about forgiveness. Tell them they can be brand new. Tell them that God can restore their life. God can restore their marriage. God can restore their health. Tell them that. Maybe you can't tell them Proverbs chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, but you can tell them John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible is always full of Always. The binding of the word of God on the neck and the hiding in the heart goes to highlight that this is a life or death situation. It is not to be taken lightly. We are to educate, to teach, to warn, to exhort, and to love our children in the way of sexual purity. It is our job. We do not be delinquent on it. Our children's lives are at stake. But as a pastor, I know the congregation's life. This is not just something the kid you better watch out for. This is 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds. You have to pass them all. You got to remind them. Take the word of God and bind it on your neck. Take the word of God and harden your heart. This is a life and death situation. Don't take it lightly. Do you not know that fornicators will not enter into the kingdom of God? 
First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, do not be led astray by pervasive words. Sexual fornicators will not enter into the kingdom of God. Let nobody take you captive with their empty words. Please understand that as Christians, we need to take sexual purity, the beauty of it, the luster of it, the grandeur of it, the, the, the completeness of it, the, a vital component to a healthy marriage. We need to protect it and honor it, cherish it and guard it. No matter what the culture says, no matter what the people say, if the whole world screams at us like it screamed out lot, who made you judge over us? We do what Lot did. Continue to warn them. That's our job. Continue to remind them there's a Savior. I will be speaking more about this as, we, as time goes on over the next couple of weeks, but please read chapter 5, read chapter 6, read chapter 7, read it from the eyes of parents watching their children come to sexual awakening. They're going to go out into the world. You can hear the voice changing your son. You can see the changes in your daughter and you're preparing them for a fruitful, loving, consistent, God-fearing life in this world. Read it. Listen carefully. We'll go through it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that searches us out, Father. Who can hide from your word, Father God? If we go to heaven, you're there. We go to hell, you're there, Father God. We go to the east, the west, the south, the north, you're there, Father God. Your word searches us out because you deeply love us, Father. God bless this sermon in our hearts today, this morning, Father God. Prepare us to teach, to exhort, and educate our children, Father God. Give us the wisdom that's needed, Father God, to encourage young people and all people.